1: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to The Deal Room, where every Wednesday we talk specifically about all things corporate finance. From the biggest M&A and PE deals to the strategy that drives business decision making. We aim to bring what you learn in the classroom to life with real-world examples and hopefully at the same time have some fun with it. So let's dive in. Welcome back to The Deal Room, the first episode of 2024. So Stephen, how is it going and what's on the docket for today?
0: Yeah, good afternoon, Anthony, and Happy New Year, everyone that's listening. I had a great uh, 45 minutes listening to your uh, predictions, your markets predictions episode earlier on today. So great job, uh, Anton Piers, for that. But today we are going to do a deep dive into Tesla. We thought we'd kick off the new year with a single headline, BYD outstripping Tesla in terms of car volume sales. And then we're actually going to maybe take a bit of a theme from uh, Piers and Ant's episode and talk about the Magnificent Seven, talk about Tesla's business model relative to the other six, do a little bit of a bull and a bear case, and then end up with a bit of a DCF, discounted cash flow analysis that we will make available uh, on LinkedIn on, on our channels.
1: So looking forward to it. How do we, where, where do we start? Okay, well, look, let, let me cover the story that's been in focus This week, which is the headline news that BYD has overtaken Tesla. They've essentially become the world's leading EV seller. And to give this some context with numbers, uh, Tesla did sell more vehicles than analysts predicted in Q4. Um, They sold just under 500,000, but BYD sold 526,000. And this is quite meaningful because actually that's on the EV side. That's battery-only vehicles, but If you actually start to take in different things, so hydrogen-powered models, things that then hybrid vehicles, things of that nature, BYD actually overtook Tesla back in the first half of 2022. So Tesla have got, they were kind of the, I think Piers always describes it, it's kind of like in cycling. You've got the lead pack and then there's the Peloton, but the Peloton has quite quickly brokers, it's almost splintered off and BYD has sprinted up to catch Tesla and in fact overtaken it. So one of the main things here is something that you did a great job many times last year of emphasizing was the emphasis on cost efficiencies underpinned by BYD's vertical integration. Uh, And that meaning then from the suppliers of resources to batteries, computer chips, to the fact that actually BYD not only makes cars, um, its top battery maker means that its status in that arena that it can supply rivals, including Tesla itself, and also you know giants like Toyota, for example. And so rather than dive into those numbers specifically, we're going to talk about these models of of, of how they operate as a business for Tesla's case study, but also the Magnificent Seven. The thing that really stood out to me was, at the moment I'm reading this book uh, and I was actually the audio um, book at the moment on my way into work. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to take a bit of that to share with you all. And it's from Mustafa Suleiman. I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but he's been speaking a lot. And the reason why he's got a book out at the moment, it's a little, uh, he's not paying me for this. I I wish I did know him, but he's the founder of Deep Mind, So one of the leading voices in AI and obviously uh, his new book, coming wave is talking about the containment of ai so the risks essentially associated with this massive um kind of massive uh, buildup build up that we've had of attention in in the ai and and, and various funding and things like that in the last 12 18 months and one of the things that he was talking about is that a couple of things in the era of chinese ruling communist party they frequently crack down on technology firms i think one of the recent examples of this was alibaba Pretty sure I saw a headline in the FT this morning, actually, saying it's down like, I don't know, a crazy amount, 75% from its peak. Um, and their founder went into the wilderness, never to be seen again after he was kind of the superstar, but evidently got a little bit too big for the state's liking. However, I think with BYD, the situation is very different. And... One of the things here is about the new arms race, and we've talked about this before, you and I, Stephen, with AI being that new thing. So it's no longer—I um, don't know—who's got the nuclear technology or the biggest military. It's all about who can almost weaponize AI to a degree where it can have military or military benefit, consumer benefit, and the race is is really on at this point in time. And one of the things that was I think this is symbolic of was not that Tesla's in BYD sites. I think BYD represents a much bigger vehicle for the Chinese state government, which is a flexing of their muscle of how quickly they're advancing in the technology race. And if you actually go back just a couple of years, um, there's, a, there's a game called, called Go. I don't know if uh, anyone's ever played that, but Go is, in, is basically an abstract strategy board game. Uh, its aim basically is to surround more territory than your opponent. But one of the main things here with this game, and this is going to link to AI and, and this BYD story, is the game was invented in China more than 2,500 years ago. Uh, and in fact, it's believed to be one of the oldest board games continuously played to this, this present day. Now, Go is a complex Board game. It requires intuition, creativity, and strategic thinking. So these are all very aligned with more human based kind of traits that are very or have been very hard to imitate from a technology point of view. All the way up until this guy, who was the founder of DeepMind, who's been working on this stuff for over a decade, he created this system called AlphaGo. And AlphaGo at the time, played this chap called Lee Seedol, who was um, basically the the champion at that moment in time, the number one ranked player in this particular game. And this took place in South Korea. And I think the analogy that was used was if you had the USA all-star baseball team coming out and then getting absolutely smashed by a first-time computer coming out on a beta test uh, and essentially what that led to was a repeat tournament where the AI technology Western developed, obviously with the UK and the US, played against China. And this was massively kind of built up in uh, in the AI world on effectively who then has the the greatest technological advantage at this point in time. And so China tabled the world number one, this guy called Qi Ji, and basically AlphaGo absolutely obliterated him. And two months after, this was in 2017, the Chinese government, two months after that defeat, came out with the next generation artificial intelligence development plan. And so within two months, they had set out a clear defined goal that China will become the number one leader in AI by 2030. And there's a whole lot of statistics about the number of research papers coming out, about what used to be a US-dominated space, is now being overrun by Chinese publications. The volume of new PhD students coming out every single year is far outweighing the US. There's a sense of inevitability here. so. Significant investments, they've poured into AI research, government funding, venture capital investment, and this is fostering this massive boom in Chinese AI. And as likely to be the case, when it's got full state backing, I do think situations like BYD are very different to someone like Alibaba, because now there's this AI element, which is now seen as a, a power play on the geopolitics underlying a lot of this story. So, yeah, I thought um, one of the main things here is, I mean, look, you're probably going to prove me wrong when you start talking about Tesla. But I think Tesla is a, I'm going to say it, Elon Elon might be listening. I think it's a fabulous company for the other things beyond cars that it, that it does. But I think that when you start to take into consideration the fact that with China and full state backing, I think byd is gonna gonna go for really big things in the future
0: yeah so why is byd so the market capitalization of byd is 79 billion dollars the market capitalization <laughs> of tesla is 740 billion dollars you yeah know, you've given a really really good overview of byd and why it's best place yeah. to take advantage of state backing plus technology why is it valued at kind of 11 percent of tesla
1: yeah i, I mean my only guess on that would be without looking at, at real details is the fact that the the ability to access BYD, perhaps the, the foreign investment into a company like that comes with uh, certain issues. Um, that being that it is highly aligned as these technology firms are in China with the Chinese government. So I think that probably explains uh, a bit of it. Uh, I would imagine as well that the Chinese state don't want foreign investment into that company. They want to control it themselves. So yeah, I think that probably explains a large part of it. I think it's quite a nice representation of the the,
0: the difference between a legacy command economy, AKA China, where there's a great deal of centralization in terms of investment and direction from a strategic and technological perspective, and then a relatively open market economy that is based largely on the pools of capital that are spread across and directed towards the US. And that may well explain quite a lot of A, BYD's advance, but still B, why it's
1: only worth 11 or 12%. The pools of capital are just not as deep. Well, long, long term, I wonder how those pools of capital will shift, because now you have the BRICS expanding, taking in countries like Saudi Arabia, for example, and a further alignment with the world's most populous country like India, whose infrastructure, whose education affluence will continue to grow. Um, you know, there's the, the foreign capital doesn't need to come from those traditional sources that we've been used to seeing perhaps over the last few decades.
0: Yeah, and, and look, their, their trailing price earnings ratio, BYDs, is still pretty punchy relative to the car industry, right? It's still at 20 times. Now, Tesla's is at 77 times trailing. 64 times forward looking so that's that's kind of pretty bombastic but a 20 times price earnings ratio for byd you know compare that to vw four times trailing price earnings gm five times ford eight times so it's still achieving a it's still uh, dislocated itself from a traditional car manufacturer's valuation it just hasn't yet scaled the heights Tesla. And quite interestingly, 31 out of 32 analysts have a buy rating on BYD. We'll talk a little bit more about Tesla in a bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then the other one was, uh, well, I mean, we talk about foreign investment, Warren Buffett was actually mm. one of the initial investors. They've actually reduced their stake um, quite recently um, in BYD. And one of the things that they said was they don't want to bet against Elon Musk. Uh, and you know they're you know charlie munger may he rest in peace and warren buffett uh, they're pretty old school i mean they pivoted a lot with the investment now into apple you could say with technology Mm. um however (laughs) it was very interesting to see their comments they were basically like don't quite agree with how some of the things that he might behave for elon musk however he has a solid Uh, proven track record and perhaps it takes an ego like his to push the boundaries to reach the heights that he has done with most of the things that he's partaken in so yeah but they've they've still got i think it's about 2.3 billion holding in byd as it stands to this day so still got some some skin in the game it's pretty punchy so yeah let's talk a little bit then about about tesla uh and I'm really interested. Whenever I think about Tesla, it's, obvious, it's obviously from an optics point of view, if you're a retail consumer, you just think Tesla cars. So how do you start to value a company like Tesla, though, that isn't just cars? Is it an automotive manufacturer? Is it a technology company? And many other things probably in between. So how how do you actually, well, maybe, maybe we'll start with the business model, and then we'll get to how do you actually deconstruct that to get a valuation?
0: yeah. so this is a really interesting question, because Tesla tends to be blocked in as part of the Magnificent Seven alongside six other technology companies. And we've had many experiences where we've created an acronym, whether it's a fang or 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 whatever it might be. and And one or two of those companies have have dropped off or dropped out of that core group of mega caps. And Tesla, from a business model perspective, is relatively different to all of the other companies within the Magnificent Seven. Now, this is interesting from a perspective of share price growth over the last year. And I know that you and Piers mentioned it on your pod. You know, Tesla up 110%, Google up 60%, NVIDIA 233%. So they're all going gangbusters. Just before we get into the business model, and just to really set the scene of Tesla and how we try to consider the valuation and the forward looking uh, prospects of the company, the price earnings of Tesla, 77 times. Price earnings of Apple, 30. Microsoft, 36. Meta, 31. Google, 27. Even Nvidia has had this pretty remarkable year, price earnings of 62. So it's already an outlier from its share price divided by earnings per share relative to these other six Goliath companies. So you're thinking, well, I'm thinking, if I'm an investor, what is this secret source? What has Tesla got that the other Magnificent Seven hasn't in order to be valued at that remarkable multiple? And now when I think about technology companies, the breakout technology companies. Google, Amazon, Meta, Apple, Microsoft. Let's just keep it at those five for now. I think that they, all of them, to some extent, take advantage of a number of things that make them worth what they're worth. The first one is high gross margins. And this is kind of anchoring it to some valuation principles and some business strategy principles. Now, everyone wants to run a high gross margin business. High gross bar- margin business essentially means that you add an extra unit of sales and you don't really add much cost. Your cost of goods sold are relatively low relative to your addition of one sales. And obviously, you think about a software product. It doesn't cost a great deal more to add one node to that software uh, infrastructure. So the gross margins of Meta, uh, over 80%. So for every dollar of revenue they generate, only 20 cents is direct costs. Uh, NVIDIA, 74%. Microsoft has increased significantly over the last few years as it's transitioned out of more kind of harder to build things into software and cloud computing and things like that. Its gross margin, 71%. And this is what really attracts investors. You know, you turn on the marketing tap. And hopefully, the profit margins just boom, boom, boom. And you've seen this with the big companies. Now, Tesla's gross margin has been the, the subject of significant scrutiny, it's hovering just under 20% because it manufactures cars. And 83% of its revenue in 2022 was automotive sales. So, yes, we can get quite excited about the technology. Yes, we can get quite excited about energy generation and storage. But actually, its gross margin, That's 20%. In fact, it's gone down from about 24% to just under 20% with the price cuts. So if I'm looking at one of these magnificent seven businesses, and I'm looking at high gross margin businesses, then Tesla, for me, seems to be a bit of an outlier. The only comparable, quote unquote comparable, is Apple, because Apple manufactures stuff. But its gross margin's 44%. And that's actually increasing as it transitions more away from the hardware and more towards services, which is growing at 15% year on year. So it's a really interesting one to think, all right, why are we valuing Tether at 77 times trailing price earnings when its gross margins are only 20%? That would be the first thing that I start thinking about when trying to value this company. So
1: so my first rebuttal, if I was the Tesla spokesman, would be um, talking about the data gathering and our advantage to fuel our AI data systems and our models. And and that's why they never talk about the car. I mean, the car has a very slow-to-market new design, uh, the Cybertruck, incredibly hard to manufacture, it's not going to scale up for ages, it's not going to be cash flow positive for a long time kind of beside the point it's just that that, that's i think more marketing and then it's about the it's almost like whilst their cars aren't particularly high quality manufactured against their peers you just draw emphasis on all of the more sexy of the moment areas of the business even from the automotive section without all the other things that they do as a company
0: yeah and this is super interesting so i totally buy your point i totally buy your point that tesla could reasonably be valued dislocated from other car companies but the fact that it's valued so much more than the extremely high gross margin tech companies leads me scratching my head and yes you're absolutely right artificial intelligence i know that i was just looking at their earnings report. commissioned one of the largest supercomputers to accelerate the pace (laughs) of ai development this is all good stuff but is it worth a 77 times trailing price earnings multiple
1: What what would be the similar for one of the traditional old school automotive manufacturers? So like a GM, for example, or a Ford? From a gross margin perspective, fifteen to twenty percent is the
0: kind of is the is the goal. BYD's gross margin is nineteen percent. And then as I've said, the, the translation into price earnings is pretty, pretty grotty. So it's just it's just really interesting. It's not what I would expect. Tesla is not what I would expect to see in a breakout trillion dollar market capitalization business if it weren't for elon musk and if it weren't for the <laughs> for the legions of uh, retail investors that that love this stock let me go on so the second thing that quite a lot of these big tech names have from a business model perspective is network effects so what is the benefit of being a big tech company well one of them is the, is this thing called network effect and best described to a network effects best described to me um, by using the analogy of a telephone you know telephone network which is a network while adding one more telephone to the network makes the whole network more valuable and makes that particular telephone access a more valuable network so if you were the only telephone operator in the world well, there's no point in having a telephone and so businesses like Facebook Facebook is the ultimate network effects business where one additional user makes the whole network more valuable or makes the business intrinsically defensible. It's kind of secret sauce (laughs) times X. And these are what, you know, this is again what tech businesses really aspire to be. Every time a new business business lists on Amazon, it makes it better for the whole community. Every time a new uh you know a new piece of seo is optimized or a new thing is uploaded on youtube it makes it better for the whole community tesla doesn't have that or it doesn't have it to the extent that i can envisage it at the moment maybe there'll be a future community of (laughs) of tesla users that contribute data and make the node and the network better maybe you could say that the art the data gathering from each node in the network improves the overall data set but it doesn't have as clear
1: a network effects as some of the other businesses that we're looking at is, is there a translatable brand and marketing network effect by what elon does by being elon
0: yeah i mean so it's interesting so one of the things that's worth looking at in terms of the financials of tesla is we always look at gross margin uh which is really important and tesla's gross margin are now comparable with the rest of the industry this operating profit margin is quite a lot higher than its comparables because they don't spend money on marketing so in terms of when we get to the discounted cash flow later on in terms of the free cash flow it's not got a pretty chunky line item that many other firms do that have to spend billions of dollars significantly marketing and going through the old school distribution networks of automotive companies so yes you could say maybe it's not a network effect but it's certainly an advantage it's certainly a tick in the kind
1: of pros column for uh for tesla okay so perhaps you could tell me a little bit then about the technology where we're at where the advantages are with tesla and then in comparison then to the scale where are tesla in a, in real terms, so like unit sales and things like that.
0: Yeah, so proprietary technology. I would say this is probably a, a kind of a half tick in in the in the bucket for Tesla. But then again, other car companies, as we're discussing today, other car companies are catching up from a technology perspective and you you mentioned the vertical integration of byd you know, tesla doesn't manuf- well it's got manufacturing capability from a battery perspective but it hasn't yet ramped it up so it's still very reliant on third-party technology providers namely panasonic so yes from a kind of core automotive technology they had a they had a moat or they had a gap they were at the front of the peloton but it's being closed I think obviously the most interesting part is the artificial intelligence layer, the self-driving capability, and I'm just going to kind of very, very quickly reference the Uber bull, Kathy Wood. uh, You might have discussed this seven or eight months ago on the pod. I was just dredging up the the $2,500 per share price target, 10 times what it is today. And that was based on over 50% of their revenue coming from, actually, sorry, just under 50% of their revenue coming from robo-taxis by 2027, uh, which is is certainly pie in the sky. But this is is the kind of mythical, always around the corner, breakthrough mega technology that Tesla is still probably best place to take advantage of. It's just that it's always just around the corner. It's never quite there and we can never quite feel it. So when we do a DCF analysis, it's quite hard to, <laughs> to slap on a great deal of future free cash flow
1: to that to that line item. So you know, Kathy Woods, like the supreme bull, I think she was hoovering up shares yesterday, uh, I, I think. Even though BYD is overtaking them and everyone's being quite critical, putting them under the microscope, Tesla, she's like, yep, perfect excuse. Some negative narrative. I'm going to enter and load up a bit more. So what what what's the bear case then on the other side
0: yeah so i would say that the bull case yeah the bull case is what kathy wood um articulates and arc investment management articulates i'd probably furnish that with a little bit of uh macroeconomic uh all, all kind of uh macro regulatory uh biden's industrial reforms uh Discounts for EVs in the US of up to seven thousand five hundred dollars. There's there's some good tailwinds there that would crop up the existing valuation of the company. Now remember, the uh, Tesla's valued at seven hundred fifty billion dollars, about two hundred and thirty eight dollars per share. Now, well, I've just I've got my list of 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 bear case points, and I've I've obviously listed a couple with the uh, with the business model, but I put Musk up there is he is he is he part of the bear case what do do you reckon
1: well i think the easy answer is always to say that yes he's a liability however i sometimes have to check myself and you go through the catalogue of calamities that he's said or done or tweeted and here he is he remains in a position of power that he has so i think that's lessened in fact um when I talk about it more from some sort of threat from the board or from regulation, I think he's pretty untouchable on that side. Um, I guess one of the things on him as a bear case is distraction. Does he have other things ongoing where he's a liability because he's not giving it due care and attention? Like what we saw with Twitter, I guess was the biggest example more recently where what, it got valued again most recently and it's down a lot. And so you could argue, but I guess no one on the board can, because he's Elon Musk, of that thing's dead. I don't care what your 10-year X plan is. This company is thriving and we need, we've need we got competition on our tails. So, yeah, I'm a little bit on the fence. I used to be quite, yes, he's a big risk. He's a major bear consideration. I actually don't think he is so much because I think that we would have already have seen that if that were the case, would have already have negatively impacted the shares and it hasn't yeah yeah how, how, well we'll wait to see how
0: much more he can say and do uh it's <laughs> more extreme that's, than what's come come before so yeah so we'll put we'll put musk on the fence i think other bear scenarios before we get into the dcf cybertruck production concerns and also product quality concern there's got to be it's got to be in there i know that a lot of people i think yourself included might say this the cybertruck's more of a Bit of fluff bit of marketing fluff and shouldn't really contribute to the valuation relative to the ai platform
1: but yeah i, I saw a, a good strategist note from one of the banks can't remember which one might have been jp or ms and they were talking about that being your like shiny product that you use to bring in new customers to then deploy to your most top selling vehicles as a strategy so the cyber truck was never meant to be a revenue generating product
0: that doesn't surprise
1: me. Uh in just in terms of
0: the difficulty in producing those windows and the and the and the you know the size of the car and the I think it's got the biggest commercially manufactured pane of window for an automotive vehicle. Yeah. So that kind of thing makes it very, very unscalable, or difficult to scale at least. So we've got that in the bear case. New president coming. Well, maybe. <laughs> I don't want to predict this thing, but yeah, you know, it might might well happen. The end of this year so that that again if we we pivot to the to, to trump then that that's not going to be good news for the ev industry i would say you know the business fundamentals if i was to oh i'm not going to make a prediction because it's impossible to make predictions about tesla it, it feels like they should not be part of the magnificent seven from a core fundamental business perspective yet they are and they have been for the last 18 months
1: <laughs> so I, i've got a, a prediction i've got an angle for you they will remain part of the magnificent seven purely on the basis of sell-side institutions will ensure that they're within that camp to maximize then volume through that particular stock and the subsequent research and interest that it generates it's too big a, a story not to be making money from so i think it benefits sell side institutions as well as tesla to be part of that which is the which is the wonderful irrationality of
0: markets isn't it It, 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 there's there's no fundamentals to suggest that it should stay at a 800 billion plus uh, market capitalization company yet as you say there's the there's the vested interest and the human element that is probably going to keep it within this magnificent seven, despite what my DCF might say.
1: Okay, so is there any more points to add, or is it DCF time?
0: Let's go into DCF.
1: Okay, where, where do we begin with this thing?
0: Yeah, so I've done a very super, super simple. It's not what you would call back of a back of an envelope, but it's 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 a very basic version of a discounted cash flow that we will make available after this uh, podcast drops. So what I've done is I've, I've taken uh, Tesla's 2022 full-year financials. Um, it hasn't yet released 2023. Uh, I've made a number of assumptions based on looking at historic um, drivers and also looking at some market analysis. So for example, one of the key drivers to any discounted cash flow, starting with the income statement, is revenue growth. Now, I've started revenue growth at 20% annually. Is going down slowly to 10% by 2027, which is relatively conservative. So 20% year-on-year growth in 2023, going down to 10% by 2027. I've, slightly, I've, I've looked at slightly improved gross margins across the five years. So a company continuing to eke out economies of scale-related productivity gains and margin gains. So that's from a that's from a income statement perspective, and you can see net income go from twelve point seven billion in twenty twenty two all the way up to about forty eight billion by twenty twenty seven. And again, we will publish this later on. Most importantly, and and DCFs are only as good as the inputs and the assumptions that you provide. So most importantly, when looking at a discounted cash flow analysis, the key the two key things that you really need to look at are Your discount rate, which is represented by your weighted average cost of capital, and also the terminal value perpetuity growth rate. How how quickly is this company going to grow? Assume that it continues forever after 2027. And just tweaking those two numbers is going to totally change the valuation, right? So I put a weighted average cost of capital for for Tesla at 8.8%. That's calculated based on. Um, a capital asset pricing model, cost of equity. Company doesn't have any debt, makes it a little bit easier. Uh, bearing in mind the risk-free rate of 3.91%, et cetera. So it's 8.8%, which taking a look at some other DCFs is, is about average. It's maybe slightly on the low end. And then terminal value perpetuity growth rate at 3%, which often you proxy, you look at US GDP growth as your kind of terminal value proxy. So, between two and two and a half percent. But we're going to be slightly more bullish because it is Tesla. um, And there is such a big market to gain, and it's still a small player within such a large market. So, there is a case for 3% in perpetuity. So, when you kind of pull all these numbers together, you pull the five year projected income statement. Uh you project it out to 2027, then you apply a discount rate that is represented by the weighted average cost of capital, and then you put that perpetuity growth rate terminal value on the end. Guess what? <laughs> Guess what my implied value per share is? Bearing in mind that Tesla is currently valued at 238 and a half dollars a share. What did my and by the way, just so you know, I didn't look at I I didn't solve to get close to the valuation. I put it in uh, valuation, uh, share, share
1: price blind.
0: So oh, what do you okay. reckon I
1: came up with? Uh, something a lot lower. I what think it, I think it's gonna be, so what was the, the share price they currently trade?
0: I think 238 and a half.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say you can knock a hundred off that. 138. 138.
0: Two hundred forty-one dollars thirty. Wow! How nuts is that? Okay. But again, if I lower the perpetuity growth rate, I've just got my model up right now. If I mod- if I lower the perpetuity growth rate um, to two percent, then the implied value per share drops to two hundred ten dollars. So this is how sensitive the model is, and how you really need to take DCF as a as a range and as a kind of guide. The assumptions can be challenged and battered back and forth forever from a revenue growth perspective, from a whack perspective. It's just an interesting piece of analysis. That actually quite surprised me, because you know, I'm not I'm not the most bullish on Tesla. But these assumptions aren't ridiculous. I'm not being overly optimistic, I don't think. And look, $241. It's not the two thousand five hundred dollars that Kathy Wood suggested, but I don't think I'm gonna get a job from her. But anyway.
1: So if you are working on a at a sell-side bank, so investment bank, yeah, and you're doing an equity research role, they obviously come out with quite, there's kind of a median consensus around valuations. However, there are fringe ones. How much of it then is you are given a protocol model of what to follow to conform to the more bullish or bearish bias? Or is it, i mean and how much is it just actually acting on the information at hand and evolving as we go
0: yeah i, I think there'll be there'll definitely be uh non objective totally rational in, uh incentives and cajoling towards a particular outcome within an equity research team and you do have very very well known equity research analysts that are perma or perma bears that are going to that are going to adjust assumptions depending on their worldview or maybe let's extrapolate the house's worldview you know the bank's worldview uh, but but these equity analysts live and die by the quality of their analysis so if they were totally you know if they were kind of Kathy Wood bombastic and 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 this was clearly a bit of a publicity thing right there's not a lot of financial wherewithal in that $2,500 price target you know so unless you're someone like kathy wood then you're gonna have to stay within a range i'm just looking at the buy sell hold ratings for tesla at the moment we've got about 16 i think we've got 16 buys 31 holds and a couple of sells. so you know they're, they're clustering around around the fact that the valuation is pretty fair at the moment
1: so it's, just, it's quite interesting to do this analysis Would there ever be a situation where the company could spin off certain parts to improve any of the metrics which you've mentioned or to see value, let's say, in one particular component like the data that comes from an increased amount of users driving their cars?
0: Yeah, uh, well, absolutely, and 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 you know, DCF is not the only way to value a company, and a lot of equity research analysts and and M and A analysts will do a sum of the parts valuation that will try to look at their discrete business units and value them individually, and then if the overall valuation is fifty percent higher than uh, the valuation as a collective, then there's definitely going to be pressure to maybe spin off or to restructure. In the case of Tesla, that's difficult because it does have this, it's not necessarily a flywheel, but it's got the kind of technology aiding the car uh selling process or the quality of cars and the cars providing feedback to the technology. So it probably doesn't feel like a sum of the parts can be done, especially since automotive mm. sales is still 85% of revenue. But yeah, it's definitely something that a a more in-depth analysis would would take a look at.
1: So Tesla year end twenty twenty four. What do you reckon? <laughs> How much was it up for the year last year? Oh, it's hundred and ten
0: percent, wasn't it? Last uh, last last twelve months, something like that. Yep. You know what? I'm going to rely on the experts, and I think you guys said the <laughs> <laughs> you guys said the magnificent seven will be up in twenty twenty four, and they'll probably outperform the S and P but not by as much as they did this year, which was obviously a pretty pretty mad year. So I'm going to say the same. I think that Tezza is going to be up (laughs) despite, again, it's so silly, despite all of my rational thinking. I think it's probably going to be up, but not by as much as it was last year.
1: Cool. All right, on that note, we'll wrap it up. Thank you, uh, Stephen. Good to get the show back up and running for 2024. As you said, we'll find a way to try and share your breakdown of some of these numbers and please do drop a comment there's quite a lot of terminology there if you're brand new to corporate finance you might not understand all of them just ask us on that post drop a comment and steven will be happy to reply i'm sure all right thanks very much everyone thank you Anne.